جزاك الله خير الله يبارك فيك يا رب الحمد لله الله يبارك فيك ان شاء الله we'll get started now باذن الله اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيدنا محمد اشرف الخلق وسيد المرسلين وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين اللهم لا سهل الا ما جعلته سهلا وانت تجعل الحزن اذا شئت سهلا سهلا رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم اخرجنا من ظلمات الوهم لن الفهم واكرمنا بمعرفه العلم وزين اخلاقنا بالحلم يا ارحم الراحمين اللهم فك الكرب عن اخواني المستضعفين في غزه وفي فلسطين اللهم انصرهم نصرا عزيزا مؤزرا اللهم انصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم انصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم يا رب كن لهم ظاهرا ومعينا ومؤيدا ونصيرا اللهم احقن دماءهم اللهم تقبل شهداءهم اللهم رد عنهم عدوان المعتدين وظلم الظالمين اللهم يا ربنا ابرم لامتي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ابرام رشد يعز فيه اهل طاعتك ويحكم فيه بشريعتك اللهم اصلحنا واصلح بنا اللهم اهدنا واهد بنا واجعلنا سببا لمن اهتدى يا غياث المستغيثين يا مجيب السائلين فك عن فك الكرب عنا وعن كل مكروب من امتي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم انت به عليم اللهم بارك لنا في اعمالنا واعمالنا وارزاقنا واهلنا وذوينا واحبابنا اللهم اجعلنا من كل ضيق مخرجا ومن كل هم فرجا واجعلنا من بعد العسر يسرا اللهم اختم لنا بخير اجمعين والحقنا بالصالحين واجعلنا من ورثة جناتك جنات النعيم يا ارحم الراحمين امين امين واخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين اما بعد حياكم الله جميعا may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all uh, for attending today and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make everything easy for our college students who are in their exams may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them success and tawfiq and uh, make them agents for goodness for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allahumma ameen Allahumma ameen uh, we're going to get started with our Friday forum program now but before we go in detail we're going to share some announcements of critical things happening at the masjid uh, so akhina please please share with everybody what's going on inshallah assalamu alaikum welcome everybody to the Friday forum uh, for those that are here for the first time uh, the Friday forum is a weekly uh, event that happens every Friday night where we discuss uh, various topics uh, so tonight we have the Friday forum with uh, Sheikh Usama and uh, Ustad Munda will be discussing the essential characteristics of a believing community. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, tomorrow we have the annual ICPC fundraiser. It will be in ICPC Patterson from 6 to 10 p.m. There's going to be Sheikh Khatanani, Sheikh uh, Yasser Fahmi, Sheikh Usama, and Sheikh Abdul Hamid. Um, we also have the, the on Sunday our monthly hike with Amu Fikri. It will be at the uh, Ramapo uh, Reservation Center. It'll be at Sunday uh, at 10.30 a.m. Everybody can meet there, inshallah. Um, we also have our Basics of Islam class. It'll be this Sunday at Clifton at 12.30 p.m. Um, and we have our the, the, the usual uh, classes with Sheikh Usama. Uh, there is a Sita class on Sunday, and there's a Fiqh of Salah on Tuesday evenings. Um, I believe that's it. As far as today's, um, uh, as far as the Friday Forum, it's typical kind of uh, setup. If anybody has any questions, feel free to ask the questions on Slido, and people will like them, and the most liked uh, questions will be uh, answered, inshallah. So with that, I'll give it to the Sheikh.
Jazakumullah khair, Akhina al Hafizakallah. Barakallah fikum. It's a pleasure to have with me, Akhi Ustad Mundir, for this real critical discussion. Uh, for the past two months, it's been two months to the day as of yesterday, where everything started in Palestine. And uh, these past two months, uh, there have been so many events, uh, so many um, uh, things that have unfolded, uh, triggered many different types of emotions, anger, sadness. Um, uh, and, and really, uh, it pushed us to our limits in terms of our community, and the necessary response to uh, what's happening over there. What, do we, what should I be doing? How can I possibly do something to stop this horrific thing that's happening in Gaza? Every one of us has been thinking within this framework for two full months. It's exhausting. It's not easy. Um, but really, as we've been mentioning several times, we draw our strength from the strength of the people of Gaza, and of course, first and foremost, from Allah Azza wa But we are inspired by this amazing relationship that they're displaying that they have with Allah Azza wa in this very, very difficult bala uh, and trial and affliction that's befallen them. Really, I think the biggest takeaway from everything that's happening in Gaza is that one word inspiration more than anything else yeah there's a lot of sadness yeah there's tragedy loss of life we're over 20,000 people dead over 20,000 people dead now someone might say well sometimes there'd be earthquakes that take more lives than that earthquakes that take more lives than what this war has taken but the difference is this is from the aggression of people against each other. They say that the amount of explosives that have been unloaded um, and um, sent down upon Gaza from these you know, fighter jets amounts to uh, three times what was sent down on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that was a statistic that someone shared a few weeks back. Now... And, you know, this small strip of land, brothers and sisters, you know, it is not a country. We're talking about the entire north, all of its buildings leveled flat. And these people are still resilient and fighting back, standing up. You know, this needs, this needs to be re reflected on and reflected on deeply. And, and you know, in the khutbah I shared something today. You know, if for, for us as individuals, there needs to be three steps to this reflection. Because what caused us to arrive at this juncture as an ummah, in terms of, you know, our weak or, you know, our collectively weak response to stop the bloodshed that's happening there is a culmination of many different factors. What I mean, our collectively weak response in terms of the Muslim countries, the so-called Arab nations, and uh, the Arab League of Nations, or the UN, or and all these other sources of uh, influence, all failing the people of Gaza, that's a culmination of a certain reality, of da'af, 
and uh, frailty in the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu to the extent that we have, and I mentioned this in the khutbah, and again, we, you know, these things are public. They're not private things. So they're not meant to be concealed. This is public news. We have this awful leader that's been imposed on the West Bank, the head of the Palestinian Authority, a deplorable human being, thinking about what's going to happen after Gaza. No shame or haya whatsoever. Despicable nifaq at its highest level. That's what it is. Colluding with those who are literally bombing your own people because you have certain ambitions. Yeah, I'm ready to rule Gaza. I will rule Gaza once the war finishes. Yes, all under me. The West Bank and Gaza. That's... that's that is symbolic of a condition of an ummah. That needs to be thought about deeply. It's not about that individual or any other individual. The condition of the ummah needs diagnosis. We need diagnose. I need to diagnose myself. I need to diagnose my. What are the, what's this three-step process? First step is I need to diagnose my condition as an individual, our condition as a community, our condition as an ummah. And then I need to reflect and reflect deeply what then would be the prognosis of these diseases. Well, actually, we've seen many of these diseases come to fruition. These things go back to fundamental things. When you have the isolationist mindset, I'm going to just save myself. Right? I'm going to think about me, myself, and I. As long as my little corner of the world is okay, I don't care about anyone else. I don't care about anything else. Right? The isolationist mindset. And then... You have, along with that, selfishness. You have opportunism. You have hypocrisy. You have many other characteristics that all lead to a very grim prognosis. This disease will cause the ummah ruin, cause it to break apart. And then, once I be able to reflect on this, the di diagnosis, the prognosis, I'll be able to holistically reflect on treatment. You know, I can do this at a macro level and I could do it at a micro level too. I need to think about myself. How am I living my life? How am I making my choices? What matters to me? What matters to me? Really, really. How much of my week is spent for me, myself, and I? And how much is it spent in the service of others? It's a big question that we all need to ask ourselves. Do I feel like I have a greater calling? Does this whole word, ummah, really matter to me? On an emotional level, I might say yes, but now on a practical level, is the answer still yes in terms of what I'm doing and how I'm spending my time? The responsibility is massive. It's a big responsibility. But again, like, you know, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Like we said, we need to be very careful not to allow ourselves and our energy, our emotional energy to become stagnant, right? Being angry as an end result it's not really going to change the world. All right, we're all angry. Yeah, I'm, I'm angry that Fulan did this, or Fulan is saying that, or that this political entity is doing that. Yeah, I'm angry. Right? You guys all heard what happened Tuesday? Everyone's aware of what happened Tuesday? In House of Representatives? What happened Tuesday? What happened Tuesday? How many of you guys know? Raise your hand if you know. What happened? Well, you know, we, ha we had... The political hypocrisy of our country um, 
agree by majority, not by consensus, but by majority, that being anti-Zionist means you're an anti-Semite. This is what the House of Representatives is using our tax dollars to decide. Right? This is what they're using our tax dollars to decide. There's a resolution uh, by, the, by, by the House of Representatives. And, you know, it just, it just speaks volumes to the difficult reality that we have at hand. But still, all right, me being angry about it or sad about it is not enough. It's the first step. I need to take steps after that. What needs to change about me? What needs to change about us? This is the most practical way to approach what's happening in Gaza. And, you know, I'm hoping that in this discussion, I'm hoping you guys will join me in this discussion uh, with your questions, with your comments, and uh, as well. But this is something that we need to explore. We've been hammering on it for several weeks about what's the colonized mindset? What does it look like? All right, how can I change this? And to be honest with you, I want to go back to that word inspired because a lot of things that we just mentioned right now are depressing, right? They can be, de or they can be depressing, but don't forget that word inspired. Where is the, I guess, um, source of inspiration for this gathering here? Characteristics, essential characteristics of a believing community. Where is the source of guidance for this? You know, at a point in our history, there was a man, very, very illustrious figure in our past. His name was Salahuddin al-Ayyubi. How many of you guys know him here? All right? Few, not everybody, but a bunch of people know him. All right? There's another man by the name of Nuruddin Zenki. How many of you guys know him? Raise your hand. A good number of people raised their hand for that one too. Before these two individuals came to fame and did the great things that they did uh, in terms of the conquest of Jerusalem and uh, saving it from the hands of the crusaders, uh, there was a generational change that had happened that led up to that. And that's something that we really need to reflect on now. Now, there was a lot of examples shared in the khutab today about some of the scenes from Gaza. Amazing scenes, amazing scenes. One inspiring scene, and um, this scene, I'm sure you guys have seen it, was about the young boy who had to go undergo a medical procedure, no anesthesia. About, he looks less than 10, or in the range of that. You guys seen this? How many of you guys seen this video? This little boy, doctor right there, uh, he's reading Qur'an, and the reason why he's doing that is because he wants to forget the pain that he's in and the pain that's about to be done to him, right? Now, this is amazing, because we had a similar example in our Islamic past that we didn't think that would ever come to light. Sheikh Yasser, I was just with him right now in a fundraiser, he also mentioned it earlier in his khutbah too. Um, he mentioned about Sayyidina Urwa ibn Zubair. And this is a companion who had gangrene. His, they needed to amputate his leg. And he asked for one thing. He said, I want to be in salah so that I could at least be with Allah before I have to deal with the amputation of my leg. Do it while I'm in salah. Why? So that I could be forgetting what I'm going through in terms of this pain. Allahu Akbar. 
Now, when you read about that from the companions, you're like, okay, well, they were the companions. We'll never see a generation like them again. But then this 10-year-old Ghazan boy comes and teaches us a big lesson. Hey, wake up, guys. The companions are right at your doorsteps. <laughs> not, to, not to say that. You know, so this is the thing that's... I, I didn't know how to answer this question. You know, um, uh, uh, me, Sheikh Qatanani, and Sheikh Yasser, and Ustad Zaid, we often meet the day before the khutbah for the past several weeks to discuss ideas. What are we going to talk about in the khutbah? And, you know, one of the things that uh, I mentioned was how this group of people, you know, in Gaza have this mutawatir reaction to the unimaginable pain they're in. Look, it's not like you just see one guy in Gaza, whoa, such amazing iman, right? Like that, uh, the one that we've been reflecting on a lot is the grandfather of Rim, Ruh uh, Ruh, right? The soul of my soul, right? It's not just one guy. This is like every video that we see. You know, and the crazy thing is, you know, we don't have any reports of like looting in Gaza, of like gangs, you know, like, like these like uh, violent gangs coming about, uh, trying to monopolize all the food sources and, you know, keeping it all for themselves. We don't hear of like this UN uh, truck being hijacked by some, you know, gangsters to take all the food for themselves. You know, we don't see like the people of Gaza pleading with the world, please just get us out of this, we'll do anything. Oh, let's just stop the war, we want out, we want out. They're not like raising the white flag and hey, please come to our rescue, we're done. They're not doing that. Yeah, they're calling upon people of conscience. They're speaking out to the Arabs, the Arab leaders and the Muslim countries. Hey, what are you guys doing? You're seeing us being slaughtered and you're not doing anything about it. But still, they remain resilient. Where did these people come from? Like, we have a lot of tragedies in the world that have happened in the past years. How has it become that this small strip of land has become full of people with this type of mindset? I was asked this question uh, by Ustad uh, Zaid. Well, you know, why do you think that is? Like, why, why has Gaza become this unique example? And you know, this is a tough question to answer. It needs reflection. What makes this... These group of people different than the other people who've also been facing difficulties and trials. And, you know, I guess, you know, on our own, we should try to think along these lines. We should try to think, you know, what's... I know one answer. I know one answer to this question. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about how virtue, fadila, is contagious. Just as corruption is contagious. Right? Virtue is contagious. When you're around a whole bunch of selfless people, sincere people, even if you're a very selfish person, guess what? A sense of uh, shame is going to overcome you once you get your selfish thoughts in mind because you see the selflessness and sincerity of the people you're dealing with. You say, you know what? I want to try to be like these people. This is the story of the Prophet you know, why do you think the companions were so great? Because they were in the presence of the greatest human being. They learned from him. They learned from his, him and his mannerisms and, and the way he walked and talked and dealt with situations. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's how they became the best generation, guys. So virtue is contagious. Just as corruption is contagious. 
If, my, if I surround myself with a whole bunch of liars, guess what it's going to be easier for me to do? It's going to be easier for me to lie. If I surround myself with people who indulge in kabair very easily, without any sense of shame or regard, guess what? It's going to make me that much closer to engaging in those same behaviors. This is, what, this is a Quranic reality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about this in many verses of the Quran when he speaks about the past nations. Right? Allah tells us, look at Fir'aun and all the corruption Fir'aun had. He was able to dissuade his people into following him into these very corrupt outlooks towards life. They took him as a god. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Right? And they actually followed him in everything they told, he told them. Right? So, you know, this is a vast subject. I'm not going to finish it today. It's a really, really vast subject. But if I really want to think about Gaza meaningfully, then the question needs to start, what needs to change about me? And the second question is, what needs to change about us? These are two questions, two ways of thinking. What needs to change about me. Someone might say, well, no, but Gaza is not about me. Why, why are you making it about me? Of course it's about me. It's about you and I. It's not a test for them. Allah is teaching us through them. He's teaching us through them. They were tested. They passed their tests. You and I are being tested. Am I gonna are we going to pass our tests? So, inshallah, this is the core of the discussion. I don't know if we have questions coming in yet. Uh, or if you have anything to add, Ustad uh, Mundir, you know, feel free. But inshallah, I'm going to be mentioning throughout this discussion a few things. You know, key action items. I want to go home from here today with some inspiration. How can I begin to change my personal life where my thoughts will become a little bit elevated? More than about being me, myself, and I. Right? Allah blessed the people of Gaza with a greater calling. They have a big calling, big responsibility on their shoulders. What is that? Right? The Tahrir al Aqsa. Their whole mindset, their whole life is centered on what? Freeing the Aqsa. Freeing Jerusalem. So Allah elevated them through this noble cause. And their trial brought them together in a very, very special way. This is something that we need to share with people. How many of you guys know, uh, remember what happened in Hurricane Katrina or after Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana? What happened? What happened there? What happened there? When there was lawlessness. Remember back, I know it was many years ago. If you go back, looting, crime, right? People were breaking into these uh, boarded up stores and stealing. You know what? There is also this new thing. Let's forget about Katrina since it was long ago. Many of the younger people <laughs> might not remember, right? Let's look at something more modern. You guys ever see one of those uh, videos? about um, the gang, gang robberies, the, where, where, where they call them mass robberies, where they come in like 50 people, you know, uh, go into a, a Macy's or whatever mm. uh, department store and they like rob it of everything that's in there. You guys have seen that? Last week, it's happening all over the place, right? People breaking into places, large numbers, 
And the reason why they're doing this is it makes it harder for them to get caught. What happens when people don't have a moral compass? They'll do things like that. But that's not happening in Gaza. That's a sign for the world. Right? So I'll stop here. Inshallah, let's uh, feel free to add to that or embellish or share a question. Sidi Mundir, uh, I think I want to add just one piece to the story of Urwa ibn Zubair. So when Urwa, when Urwa told the other Sahabi around the other Sahaba around him, uh, cut my leg off when I'm in prayer because I want to be with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. After he finished his salah, he asked the companions, "Guys, I I just finished my prayer. Why didn't you cut my leg off?" And they were like, "No, no, we already cut your leg off while you were in prayer. You just didn't realize it because you were lost with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala." It was it was an incredible moment of what it could mean to have this relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want to be very clear that this is accessible. This is not something that's impossible. It happened 1400 years ago. It happened to this young boy uh, in Gaza. And it can happen to any of us. If we sincerely work on ourselves and work on our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can reach a point where we're so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we don't experience the pain of this dunya because we're just, we're lost <laughs> with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're lost in the Habib of the Beloved sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so I, I, don't, I don't want anyone to hear to think that this is a, a you know, shishifufu or like this random story that people just mentioned. No, this actually happened. This was a real occurrence and it can happen again and it can happen to us if we, if we have that sincerity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think, Sheikh, one of the questions that you had posed that I want to, before getting to these questions, uh, that I want to pose to the, to the group is we've been going through this process over the course of two months where we've been inspired, we've had emotions, uh, and we have been encouraging uh, the community and ourselves to take steps. So I want to ask folks here, what's something that's changed for you from when this started until now, right? Two months, 60 days. We're going to talk today about, you know, I'm going to steal one of your books here, about the agenda to change our condition, about how to work on yourself. So I want to ask you guys, uh, you know, I was with you guys about a month ago and we had a very similar conversation on we need to be better, we need to fix our relationships, we need to do this, we need to do that. 60 days in, what have we done? And and, and I'm not, not meaning for this to be browbeating, I'm not saying hey, we need to be better. I'm actually genuinely asking, is there someone in the audience who has done something to change over the past 60 days? Increasing ibadah. So, so the two was increasing in ibadah because you want to support them. And the second was realize that we're privileged and uh, we shouldn't be complaining about the fact that 
have a bathroom in our house and we can go and use it whenever we want. We don't have to line up for, you know, three hours to use a bathroom. Yeah, uh, wow. We have free access to food and water and shelter. Beautiful. Focusing on making sure the prayers are prayed on time and with the time that it deserves. Barakla Fiki. Who else? Being more patient and, and, and realizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted me in the position that I'm in, the situation that I'm in. I'll take maybe two, three more, any of the sisters, before I go back to the brothers. So, so teaching your children to be to have azza, to be people of, of 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 power and strength, but to use that for good. I think you raised your hand, brother. Hmm. So having absolute conviction in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and knowing that you're going to go through pain, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to support you. It's going to be there for you. One last one, inshallah. Remembering that this, this dunya is temporary and the akhirah is really what this is all about. All of those are great. And I'm sure some of you have made some changes that you don't want to share because you want them to be private between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, may Allah increase us and, and help us to continue to make those changes. The reality is that Gaza is teaching us, right? And we've said this statement over and over and over. Uh, we need to be better Muslim. I need to be a better Muslim. I need to uh, do all of the things that you guys are doing because, uh, you know, you're clearly uh, miles ahead of me. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase and reward you all. Um, but, but really it's about, I think, what, what Sheikh, you've mentioned about the emotions have to lead to steps. They have to lead to changes. Um, these changes are, are good things to do, but there are also interpersonal changes that I need to work on as well. It's... Uh, when you made the statement, Sheikh Usama, it struck me that we need to change, what, what is it that we need to change about me versus what is it that we need to change about us, right? So, so changing things about me, which I think many of the answers uh, that, that folks had shared were things that I need to do differently. But there's also, what do I need to do for the folks around me? Like uh, our beloved mother said, I'm going to make sure that my kids 
are prepared to do what they need to do. Uh, and, and the brother said, small things that maybe other people do for me, don't bother me. That's also a very important thing that we need to do. Uh, to, to think about what's my relationship with my uh, estranged uncle, uh, or what's my relationship with my mother or my father or my sister or my brother, and how come that hasn't changed despite what I've seen in Gaza? What we see in Gaza is a lot of pain and a lot of, a lot of suffering that should remind us how, uh, how, how, how brittle life is. And that subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could take our souls tomorrow. Just as he takes, he's taking the souls of the Ghazan people. And so I don't want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with hatred in my heart for my brother. I need to fix that. I need to do that. And I'll do that for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I know that he wants me to do that now. He doesn't want me to wait until the people of Gaza are feeling better. He doesn't want me, for, he doesn't want me to wait for the ceasefire. He wants me to fix things now. Um, there's one thing uh, says Mundar, there's one thing that inspired me to be honest and uh, you know I don't think I've ever um, in any of the recent events that you know I've been exposed to in terms of um, you know hearing the community and being with the community um, I don't think I've ever seen so many people wanting to do something about it ever mm. you know and, and what I mean by that is like look you know, we have, I just came from an Islamic school that was having a fundraiser for Palestine. It's a Turkish Islamic school. And, um, and, and you just see the joy and the excitement of the people. And like, they feel like they're part of this. And before this Islamic school, there was one, two, three, four other Islam. Everyone wants to do something. How many protests have happened in the past two months? I think people have done, you know, whoever go to protests have done more protests in the past two months than they've done in their entire lifetime altogether, right? How many protests are happening? How many people are actually, you know, you know wanting to, you know, do something at work uh, because of this or teach people about Palestine who are non-Muslims, speak out about it? So I think, to be honest, this is one of the inspirational things. Mm. Um, you know, and, and like I said, the, the word of the night, I think, really should be inspiration, mm. You know, when I think of inspiration, one of the, one of the verses I, was, I shared in the khutbah today um, actually helps us answer this question about what needs to change about me, what needs to change about us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى That's a very simple verse, right? We've said this verse so many times. But if you think about this verse, it's actually commanding us and enjoining upon us to cooperate on two things. There's two types of things that Allah mentions here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and cooperate with one another on two things. Bir, benevolence. This is teaching us what? What is benevolence? Service of others. Doing good things. Bringing change. Being a positive presence for everything and everyone around you. That's bir. Bir is this vast term. It's a, it's a beautiful term, Right? Allah tells us that that path to, to serving others isn't a lonely one. It's not, a, it's not supposed to be an individual one. Right? It's supposed to be a collective one. The other one is taqwa. And what does this tell us? The spiritual path to Allah Azzawajal was never, ever meant to be a lonely one. Right? There needs to be this, wallahi, wallahi, and this, this takes us back to Gaza, wallahi, there is this strength in coming together to grow on a spiritual level that 
overshadows everything else. Wallahi, that's why we have barakat al-jama'ah. You know, we have the, the, the blessings of these types of gatherings that the Prophet ﷺ told us, these are the gardens of Jannah, right? There's a reason why we have this notion of jama'ah on so many different levels in our deen, congregation, get together. There is a goodness and barakah that comes when you're around good people. Blessings, your prayers are closer to being answered, right? So for me, you know, this is a critical point to that, says uh, Mundar, inspired by, you know, the people's desire to do something to change the status quo. Yeah. We'll, we'll start going through some questions, inshallah. Uh, one of the ones that came in early on is, how can we challenge the resolution that passed on Tuesday regarding Zionism and anti-Semitism, specifically in the Supreme or Constitutional Court? So there's one thing that need, we need to understand. A resolution is a resolution. What does that mean? Meaning it's, there's no change of law. Like uh, uh, what they passed, the resolution is there is the political legislators in this country taking a stance that, you know, we support X, Y, and Z. But it does not, you know, establish any laws that are going to affect our lives currently at least. But it establishes this notion, this false notion, that if you speak against Israel, you're an anti-Semite. It just establishes this idea and this notion that you're an anti-Semite if you say these types of things. So that, that's one. Now, of course, it's, so, it's, such, so, it's such a deluded idea and concept. How do we challenge it? Well, what do you say about Jews who are, uh, are anti-Zionist? What do you say about them? They're anti-Semites as well, right? They're Jews, right? Uh, again, what's this whole idea of, look, <laughs> um, uh, do you guys, how many of you guys know uh, a man by the name of uh, Norman Finkelstein? Raise your hand if you know him. You've heard of him? All right, I'm going to mention another name. Uh, Elon Pape. How many of you guys know about him? Raise your hand. All right, and then I'll mention a third name. Noam Chomsky. How many of you guys know about him? You should. He's been around for almost 100 years. <laughs> Literally. He's, uh, he's, he's in his 90s. Uh, uh, but these individuals are people that we need to learn about. Why do we need to learn about them? What's stronger? True knowledge and awareness or propaganda? Answer is obvious. What we see in corporate media, what we see politicians doing, all that is propaganda. right? Propagandists. Empty, shallow claims that are divorced from reality. I don't need to buy into their game and their dynamic. No, I need to try to figure out ways to enforce a new, a new dynamic. That's what I need to do. That's a tall task uh, if you're talking about politics. But truly, these individuals, you know, one of the, one of the things, the reason why I mentioned that, there, there's a bunch of good books that they've produced, these three individuals, about Philistine. And this whole idea of anti-Semitism is part of this larger strategy by Zionism to try to deflect away from the real issues relating to Philistine, right? What, what, what does that mean? Well, the way they approach dismissing anything against Israel goes back to either you're naive, you're a naive Westerner because you don't know anything about the real situation in Philistine, or, or uh, they will say that you're an anti-Semite. You're, you're speaking against Jews. You're, you hate Jews. Well, 
we as Palestinians, we're not Semites. Yeah, no, we're not. That, that, I, that idea of anti-Semitism is, is, is a fraudulent falsity. Mm. They conveniently want to start history at a certain point. They don't want to start it at 1948. Because that demolishes their whole precedent and their whole entitlement to that land. When you start the conversation at 1948, when the land of Palestine was sold by the superpowers to Israel, well, it demolishes their arguments. They don't want to start at 1948. They'll start later than that. They'll start 1967. No, no, no. They'll start even later than that. 1972. It's a critical history. The sister Rania was with you guys last week talking about some of the critical points and Palestinian history. So the way that we combat it, I don't think there's any direct thing that we need to do in the short term besides just continue to raise awareness one step at a time. The long term is what we need to find a new, new framework for politics. Our country, and you know what? People of conscience in this country have realized that the two-party dynamic in America, Democrats, Republicans, and and the re dynamic of lobbyists and lobbying has corrupted American politics to the fullest, right? There needs to be something else introduced. If I play within this framework, it's always a losing battle. Wallahu alam. Uh, there are many questions. Uh, I'm going to uh, pick one that's aligned with the idea of changing ourselves, because that's the focus that we have. There's one question I want to ask. Yeah. I don't know. You can answer it or you guys. Mm -hmm. What's something that's really, really bothered you about what's happening in Gaza in the past few days? Mention something specific. In the past few days, what is the thing that bothered you most? Want to say something? Absolutely. You want to repeat what he said? Yeah, so the, the brother said how uh, other countries are not ha helping Gaza, but everyone is helping Israel. Okay. More specifically, is there something in the past day, two, three days about Palestine, what's happening there on the ground that really bothered you? Anyone want to share something? Hand over there. They're saying that the arrogance of uh, the oppressor. Zakallah khair. Here's one. You want to say something, Hajj? Abu Jamil is, is uh, reminding us that in the UN resolution for the ceasefire today, 
the U.S. voted against uh, the, the resolution. Uh, and there were only two countries that voted against the resolution, uh, Israel and the U.S. Um, uh, and and uh, he's sharing that the, the people that are most antithetical about their approach to dealing with Palestine is the, is the U.S. government. There's something that really bothered me today. Something that really bothered me today. How many of you guys saw um, the Ghazan prisoners being taken today? How many of you guys saw the pictures of that and the video of that? Uh, you guys saw that? That really bothered me. It really, but You know why it really bothered me? There was something symbolic in it. You know, it reminded me, uh, Mundir, of a conversation I had here with Sheikh Atanani mm. when he was in the Friday Forum and he shared about how he was treated um, as a Palestinian growing up in a Mukhayyam. Uh, he said Mukhayyam Askar and the things that happened to him um, uh, as a Palestinian growing up in Palestine. These people, dozens of men, not combatants, they were taken put on the street, on the floor, stripped naked, and were made to look down on the ground as the IDF soldier passed by them and took a video of them. Now, of course, it's supposed to, be, it's supposed to bother us. That's, that's the whole point of it. You know? But the reason why you know, it's so painful is because it reminds us. You know, the, you know sometimes, look, pay attention to this one. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses a person with a reality in their life that thrusts them into this frame of thinking that makes them beyond all of the uh, frivolous realities of life. Think about that. Now, like, like on an individual level, what would that look like? Someone just finds out that they have cancer, terminal illness, right? They have this cancer, terminal illness. Are they going to be caring as they're coming to face with their, their mortality? Are they caring about, he said, she said, I want this, I want that. I want to buy this, I want a house like that and a car like that. Are they going to be thinking of these frivolous realities of dunya? No, they're not. Oh my God, they're going to be counting the days and the seconds until they leave this dunya. Sometimes Allah thrusts you in a position where you're forced to think at a higher level. Really, really. And I think that that's part of the answer to what's happening in Gaza. Mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forced these people to think in a very elevated way. It's not about me, myself, and I. And I think about that. You guys, you guys saw that video. Uh, was, I think it's a, a few weeks old now. Uh, that old uh, Palestinian Hajjah. She was looking back at her house and she said, I spent 40 years gathering the money to build this, to build this building right here, my house. And now it's all been demolished just like that. That type of reality, again, it could just depress you. But for her and for the people of Gaza, it actually did something else. Now I realize that the past 40 years, my dedication to building this structure actually wasn't very meaningful. There's something that's more meaningful than that. There's a bigger calling. There's something that I should care about a whole lot more. Right, so just keep that with you. You know, um, there's a beautiful line. I remember. Um, uh, I, I, I remember uh, before I went to Egypt to study, uh, I was insisting upon Sheikh Qatanani, give me 
some type of written advice that I could take with me when I go to Egypt. I want something written uh, to remind myself. So, you know, Sheikh Qatarani is very busy. So I asked him once, twice, thrice, uh, and, and I insisted and insisted until he finally wrote me something. He wrote me one line of poetry. He said, قَدْ رَشَّحُوكَ لِأَمْرٍ لَوْ فَطِنْتَ لَهُ فَرْبَأْ بِنَفْسِكَ أَنْ تَرْعَى مَعَ الْهَمَلِ He said, look, they've selected you for a matter. If you were to pay attention, it's a significant one. So elevate yourself to being among those who wastes time with the lowliness and the lowly people. Right? So this is what he wrote from... But here, the thought pattern is what? Hey, look... You know, those modalities of living a selfish life, the modalities of living a selfish life is so scarce of goodness. You know, I'm, I'm just put it plainly. When I live just for me, that type of life sucks. I'm going to say it, excuse my language, young guys. Uh, but a life that's just about me, myself, and I really sucks. Wallahi, it sucks. What does that mean? When I go to my grave, if my life was about me, myself, and I, guess what? No one's going to care to think about me. They're not going to care. They're not going to even know who I am. They're just going to put me in the grave. And leave. But a life that's valuable and precious is a life that was lived for others. And that's why the life of Muhammad is of the most paramount significance. His entire life and framework was centered on elevated things I want that for myself uh, sorry just that's a little tangent but that, that's what I was thinking about today really bothered me to see those disgusting human beings try to demean and he, they've been doing this to the people in the West Bank they've been doing it Gaza has been free from the clenches of the occupiers since 2007 and we can't wait huh 2005 right Zakala khair uh, it's been free from the clenches of the oppressors and the occupiers since 2005. We've seen what's been happening in the West Bank. Mm. This strategic dismantling of the Palestinian people, physically and psychologically, and even culturally. Culturally, you have these deplorable human beings coming from Poland and Germany coming to tell us they made hummus, right? Sabra, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where's Hajj uh, Samar? Um, uh, Is she here? She's not here? Okay. If you want to boycott something, boycott Sabra. Speaking of something that bothered you a lot. You want to say something? Go ahead.
Yeah, brother, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to I'll, I'll try to summarize, inshallah. Mm. Uh, the brother is very, very, very bothered by the hypocrisy of many, many countries. Uh, specifically mentioned uh, uh, United Arab Emirates uh, that sure voted against, voted for a ceasefire, but at the same time is selling weaponry to Israel. They introduced the resolution and at the same time is selling weaponry to Israel. Not even selling, just giving it away. Uh, it gets worse and worse. <laughs> May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to expose these hypocrites and show us for who they are. What were you going to say? Amu Abu Jamil, whenever he raises his hand, I can't say no okay. to him. Today they sent 200 bombs to Israel. May Allah protect them. May Allah protect our brothers and sisters of Gaza. May Allah protect them. Keep them safe. So I wanted to ask one of these questions because as we talk about what's bothering us, uh, uh, the, the person who asked the question, I think asked a very critical question to our topic. Uh, how can we start working on ourselves? Uh, we have spiritual diseases, we have love for the dunya, we have hasad, we're not lowering our gaze, we're having issues with modesty. How can I work on that when I am focused on Gaza? There's this these constant images that are coming out. And you mentioned, for example, the uh, the recent uh, uh, you know painful painful image that you saw. So how do you see that and then not lose focus? Well, look, you know, look, there need I need to take that energy in and direct it in a way. You know, look, it's 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 not healthy at all for for your entire experience with what's happening. Just watching non-stop videos on TikTok or YouTube. Don't mm -hmm. do that. Don't do that. I'm just going to watch hours and hours of videos. There's this like disturbing... Some of these images are extremely disturbing. Uh, you know, I, I don't... Some of them are even... Some of them go a little too far. Yani, there are certain things that really should not be shared the way they are shared. You know, uh, when you're sharing the sanctity of a body, a human life that's been like obliterated to pieces... Yeah, there should be some censorship for the sake of this, the karama of this mayit. Yeah, raise, on the, raise awareness on the issue, and to a certain extent it's okay. But some of these videos are just too much. They're just too much, too graphic, and they're not meant to be like, shared with the world like that. So, you know, be mindful of this, right? Watch them, watch some of these videos, but then take that energy and direct it in a way. How? 
I need to start reflecting. I need to put an agenda for change. Like this, look, the, the, you know, says Mundir mentioned this book. I need to get awareness. Let me let me get this book. What agenda can there be for really changing our condition as individuals and as an ummah? You'll find that one of the critical things he mentions here is spirituality. At the cornerstone, not just any spirituality, spirituality that leads to activism. Mm. Uh, sacred activism. Sacred activism. That's a critical notion and understanding. I'm not going to be involved just for the sake of being involved. I am going to become involved via a religious spiritual calling. There's a huge difference between the two. In the second one, you know, like just being an activist is not enough, right? I'm going to go out and protest and I'm going to do this and I'm going to talk to politicians and, um, you know, your local. Uh, um, you know, you know, elected officials. There, we need something more than that. What is that? That it's going to stem from an aqidah and an iman, something that's ingrained within me. I'm going to operate based on that. When it's sacred activism, it stems from my relationship with Allah, meaning that I am going to be divinely driven in the in my choice of priorities and the way I function, and my alliances, and my interactions with others. I need to start reading. I need to develop my... That's why I mentioned those three individuals. Go read books about Palestine. Go read books about spirituality. There's another book in Arabic. I don't think it's translated into English. Um, it's Hakada Zahar Jil Salahuddin Wa Hakada Adat Al-Quds. This is a very important book that was written 30 years ago about how the generation of Salahuddin came about and how Al-Quds once again became within the confines of Muslim lands, right? There's a third book that, it is translated, um, it's uh, by Sheikh Abul Hassan al-Nadawi, um, and uh, it's called Madha Khasir al-Alam, Bin Hitat al-Muslimin. What has the world lost with the decline of Muslim civilization? I need to arm myself with awareness, with knowledge, information, if you look it up online, actually it's shared in the WhatsApp group for the Friday Forum, the link to the book. You could look it up and try to get this book, read about it, right? How can I begin to change myself? Well, we've, this is what we're tackling in our khutab, in our, in, our, in our talks. It starts from a deeply spiritual place. What am I attached to? What has worldliness done to me? My grudges, my uh, hatred, my envy, my interactions. Do I have this in my heart? Do I have attachments? Right? Do I ever act in an opportunistic way? I need to ask myself this question. Am I selfish or selfless? I might like to think I'm selfless, right? But when put to the test, operationally speaking, I have a certain number of hours in my day and a certain number of hours in my week. Honestly speaking, how many hours in my day are dedicated to something other than me? Me, myself, and I. I need to be honest with myself. If I'm able to say one hour a day is dedicated to something that's not relating to me, that's pretty good. Even if it's just one hour, okay, like look at the disadvantage here. 23 hours, me, myself, and I, between food, sleep, school, work, I need to make money, I need to pass my tests and do my assignments, I, I, and then I need to take things, care of things at home, right? Um, you know, even like, look, I, I won't even count this enough as selfless, right? Like, all right, well, like, a, like uh, in the home, the mother and the father, they're taking care of the kids and, you know, uh, you know bringing, uh, you know, happiness into their hearts, uh, cooking, cleaning, doing chores. That also is not enough. Why? Because 
in the end of the day, my kids are uh, an extension of me. I, I, I serve them by nature. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, beautiful, rewarding. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's an extremely rewarding thing for a father or a mother to be in the service of their children, teaching them about Allah and connecting them with the deen and building good values within them, building the next generation. However, I need to push myself a step further. What am I doing for the ummah? What am I doing for society? Right? Am I, does that thought even matter to me? So this, these, are the way I could, these are the ways I could... Do I have lofty concerns? Like, let me ask myself this question. Like, if I've ever spent a day recently like um, uh, toiling and disturbed and angry about something petty that happened in my day, he said, she said, he did, he didn't, then guess what? I need to elevate my thought process. People are dying. The world is um, consumed by big things that are deeply affecting the direction of humanity. Do I think in an elevated way? So this is what I would say to that question. So much more you could say. How do you begin? It starts very, very simply with the basics. Let me focus on my, this beautiful connection that I could build with Allah Azzawajal and building a meaningful connection with righteous people. Uh, just a kind reminder that we have one discussion in this room. Inshallah, if you want to have a separate discussion, you can uh, go get some refreshments on, on the outside or you can go downstairs, Inshallah. But we should be having one one conversation here. Um, another question that was asked is, uh, how can we overcome weak iman and losing hope in humanity when people are so ugly in their actions? Well, how can you overcome it? Well, if uh, guys in the back, there's like a shabab in the back over here. I keep on hearing your noise. Please calm down, guys. If you want to talk, you can talk outside. Zakmullah khair. Um, you got to go direct approach sometimes. I, I tried to be nicer. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, look, how do you not lose faith in humanity? Well, that's the whole point of Iman, guys. It's the whole point of Iman. Like, well, the Prophet said, what reality did he come to? He came to a reality where people were worshipping idols. It was like as dark as it gets. Dark as it gets. People worshipping idols, inheriting women and children, um, slavery, Right? Uh, you know, torturing human beings, uh, subjugating them. You know, like, it's very dark, stark reality. Tribal warfare. Like, these, some of these, war, these wars that happened before Islam raged on for 20 years all started because one guy killed another guy's camel. Utter darkness, foolishness, right? Making a, You guys heard about the story about the guy who made a, a... You know, you guys heard about the story of the one who ate his god? You guys know about that one? Who knows about the story of the one who ate his guide? You don't know about it? Huh? The one who ate his god. One of the most famous sahabas. He made an idol out of dates, right? Uh, <laughs> and he was hungry one day, and he had nothing to eat. So he's like, you know what? I'm sorry, idol. You got to go, right? And he ate his god, right? That, that's how dark Jahiliya was. You know, you look at the, one of the stories from the time of Sayyidina Ibrahim السلام, with his father, right? He saw his father, his father used to make idols, right? And he made this idol with nice big ears, right? Massive ears. 
He was a little boy before his prophethood. He asked his father, Oh, father, why does he have such big ears? So his father said, So that uh, he can hear the calls of all of his subjects from far away. Allahu Akbar. It's all highlighting the darkness in which Sayyidina Ibrahim was born. It's not about the darkness of your reality. It's about what you're willing to do to change it. Look, look, the, the profoundness of Iman when it's in the heart, Wallahi, it could change. Look, look at this. You guys saw, I don't know, any of you guys see those videos, of reactions to the soul of my soul? Ruh al-Ruh. You guys saw those reactions from Westerners? Oh, there was a lot of Westerners. They came out on social media, YouTube, Mash'arifah. And they were like crying. They were like, I've never seen love like this. What is this? You know, a lot of people, seriously, there's videos out there. They are saying, I'm starting to read the Quran after what I saw from Gaza. Right? So don't look at the darkness. You could choose to look at the darkness if you want. Look at how the beauty of light extinguishes the illusions of falsehood. That was the nice title that Zaid chose for his khutbah today. Beautiful, beautiful title. Truth will always extinguish the illusions of falsehood. Absolutely. Wallahi it will. Brothers and sisters, when we learn how beautiful, profoundly beautiful it is to be a Muslim, to, to, to have a, a brother for the sake of Allah, a sister for the sake of Allah, to, to connect with the Qur'an, to have the blessings of Ramadan, to have yaqeen in your heart and tawakkul and trust in Allah. Guess what? Wallahi, this feeling... That you feel, Ramadan, by the way, three months away, guys, mm -hmm. three months away. That feeling you feel in Ramadan, people search for that craving their entire life until they find it. Wallahi, it's a special thing. Don't focus on the darkness. Wallahi, light is more powerful than darkness. Always. It always is. You know what you need to do? Make the light a little bit brighter, right? There's no way that a place is going to stay dark when it's truly lit. When you introduce light, darkness fades away. Because darkness is weak. I want to I add to this a little bit because I think that it's a, it's a feeling that we can have when we think about how, how difficult this has been. Um, and I think about the Prophet uh, The Prophet in Mecca went through a very difficult time, especially towards the end of his, his time in Mecca. Uh, he would be praying in sujood and somebody would come and dump on his back the, the refuse of a camel that they killed. They would take the organs of that camel and, the, and, the, and all of the waste that came from that camel and they would literally dump that on the back of the Prophet ﷺ while he's in sujood in front of the Kaaba, the most sacred place ever. And they believed it was sacred, but they desecrated the sacredness of their space because of their hate for the Prophet ﷺ. Did the Prophet ﷺ ever have despair? Did he ever say to himself, oh, like, all right, this is enough. After the third camel's refuse, that's it. I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I lost my faith in humanity. These people will never be guided. No. He said, Ya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want these people to be guided. Ya Allah, forgive them. They have no idea what they need. Shaykh Usama has just referenced about the uh, people who are exposing themselves to the Quran and, and who are brought to Islam through this oppression is exactly an answer to the dua of the Prophet Ya Allah, guide my people. They have no idea. That is, if there isn't an answer to that dua, I don't know what is. When the Prophet went to Ta'if, 
on his feet, walked miles to go to Ta'if. And then when he got to Ta'if, was rejected by the three leaders and stoned until his entire sandal was filled with blood. And as he left, Jibreel came to him and said, do you want to take vengeance? I, have, I take this mountain right here and just dump it upon the city of Ta'if and it will never exist again. He said, no, no, maybe some of their children will become righteous. And within two generations, the entire city was Muslim. Within two generations, now when we go to Ta'if, we go, we go and we visit Ta'if. The Prophet ﷺ went through a lot of pain that none of us have ever gone, have, have ever even tasted. <laughs> when I say the Prophet ﷺ, I should hear something from the audience. He was of beautiful character. So yes, when, when I think to myself, this is hard, this is painful, this hurts. It, it is painful, it's hard, it hurts the Prophet ﷺ. When he went through pain, he cried. And he said that, you know, my, my tears fall, but I'm content with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you may lose your faith in humanity. You may feel like these people are terrible human beings. They're tyrants. I don't believe that these are good people. That's fine. But don't lose your faith in Al-Khaliq and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he is in control. That there will be a day of reckoning for each and every person for what they did. For me, this entire ordeal has reaffirmed my belief in the Akhirah. How could there not be Jannah for these people of Gaza? And how can there not be Jahannam for these tyrants of Israel? There's no way that I could live as a sane person and I could feel a sense of justice if I don't believe in the Akhirah. It just doesn't compute. So I'm grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Hidayah. So I understand emotionally it's hard to see what's happening but don't let that become a problem of iman. Let that reinforce your iman. Remember the Prophet ﷺ and what he went through and how it reinforced his iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a couple of questions here about there's a couple of questions here about uh, how to support uh, how to show our support for Palestine in school, work, and the community. And specifically, what can we tell our students who may be facing threats or racism uh, at school? Look, Jazakallah um, khair, uh, you know, I think that our struggle and uh, you know, look, we're just beginning to see the struggles in the revival of the Ummah of Muhammad Wasallam. It's not, not going to be an easy path. Look, what we're experiencing, always remind yourself of the sacrifices that many others in the Ummah of Muhammad Wasallam are having to make um, for the cause of the revival of the Ummah. It's not just the people of Gaza. There's other pockets in the Muslim world that are also going through great difficulties. But the people of Gaza needed to sacrifice their own blood for the conscience of people who have some semblance of humanity to kick in. Right? That's what needed to happen. For the conscience to finally kick in, they needed to, you know, the bloodshed needed to be so catastrophic and so grim that people are finally, the tide is turning, right? The, 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 the hypocrites and the oppressors are having very little room to continue to spew their falsehood. Because 20,000 people are dead. More than 20,000 people are dead. And, and the, the level of bombing and everything that's happening. So what I'm trying to say here is, um, it is going to be a long journey ahead. 
And the way that I can begin to deal with these realities, I need to come together. I can't isolate. I can't isolate. This is not the time to isolate. I need to band together with my community. You know, just like the people of Gaza have banded together, all of them, in this ordeal, this trial that they're in right now, I need to come together with my community. I'm facing threats at school. Well, you know what? I'm not alone. I have a community behind me. I have many Muslim organizations behind me. In New Jersey itself, we have hundreds of thousands of Muslims, a few hundred thousand Muslims, just in New Jersey. If the hearts and conscience of these Muslims were to awaken, you know, what could happen in terms of real change in our society? So you're not alone. If you're facing threats, facing difficulties, or you feel like you're at a disadvantage, reach out to somebody for advice, for support. We've been saying the message has been giving out the Gaza action alert on a weekly basis. Mm. Reach out to CARE. Um, reach out to other organizations. Report what's, what you're experiencing and it'll change. You know, look, the, the Zionists have really exposed their vulnerabilities in this one. Don't think that they're controlling the narrative. You might think it. But even their closest allies and even the most devout news channels, right now they're starting to change their stances because they can't be uh, um, so one-sided because it just, it just doesn't make, it discredits them, right? So don't think that they're controlling the narrative. No. Allah is dominant over his affairs. It'll change. It'll take time. I'll need to make sacrifices. But let me equip myself with the knowledge, with the community, with the spirituality that's all going to make me strong enough to deal with it. Right? This is a blessed space. You know why it's so blessed? You know why it's so blessed? This is a space that's for Allah. I need to connect with this space. It's for Allah. This masjid is a place that is blessed, surrounded with angels, surrounded with Allah's rahmah. I want to feel stronger as a person. Maybe I need to connect to the masjid more. Maybe I need to connect with people through the masjid more. That is something that's going to empower you to deal with whatever you're going through. Allahu alam. I want to add a specific note for the person who asked about uh, students facing any, any racism or any, uh, any form of threats. You know, we've had cases over the past couple of months, specific cases where this has come up. And I can share that in every case that was reported, the action that needed to be taken was taken. And, and I've had a conversation recently with a, a group of uh, uh, young parents uh, that culturally, as Muslims, we tend not to report these things. We, te we tend to just be like, oh, we're strong enough to deal with it. We've done this since 9-11. People have been racist and, and belligerent to us. It's just a part of the game, part of how we live here in America and how we need to move away from that. Uh, so my, my mother actually works, at a chaplain, works as a chaplain in a college and she sees the reports. She sees the reports that go from the Muslim students and she sees the reports that come from the Zionists who, you know, maybe, maybe not all of them are accurate. Maybe some of them, you know, there, there's, there's questionable nature to, to some of those reports. And, and, and what she can share is that all of that boils into data. That's then going into the dean of students, into the president, into the... And it's very important for that data to be captured. Because if it's not there, 
then what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, we got 50 reports about Zionist, anti-Semitism, whatever, and we got only one report of anti-Muslim hate. So clearly this isn't a problem for our school. Because that's all they're going to care about. They're going to say, okay, well, who's complaining? Who's, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Whoever is the loudest will actually get the attention. Now, I'm not saying that we should lie or we should be sneaky or we should do it. We should always be truthful, right? The Muslim never lies. There's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ was asked, would a Muslim steal? Maybe a Muslim might steal. Would a Muslim uh, do any other? What, what were th- there were three items, right? It was steal. And what else was, was the Prophet ﷺ asked? Yeah, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember the hadith. As, can they be a coward? And the Prophet ﷺ said, maybe. But the Prophet ﷺ, after being asked about these things, he was asked, would the Muslim lie? And his face became very, very bothered and red and angry. And he said, no, 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 the Muslim would never lie. So we're, we're always truthful. But the point is that we have to get the information to the proper, proper channels. Once the information gets to the proper channels, it'll be dealt with. There was another case here in New Jersey of a middle school student that was called a terrorist. He took that to the principal. And immediately... There, uh, the, the person who had said, the, the student who had said this to him, he was suspended for a week. It, it, it was just a matter of procedure. So I, I, I want us to get out of our cultural norm of just carrying it on our shoulder and utilize the services that are available to us. Just report it, take it to the right person, and if they don't deal with it how it needs to be dealt with, CARE is very happy to get involved and step in on behalf of the Muslim community. But I do want to make this clear that we should utilize these services that are available to us. Jazakallah khair. Any more questions? Uh, no, I think we could stop here. There's, there's a lot. There's, there's one that I felt like we okay. just we should mention. Go ahead. It's off topic though, so I saved it for the end. Okay. Uh, somebody had shared that they know a person who wants to convert and asked for their help, but is feeling like they may be converting for the wrong reasons. So what can they do to prevent their conversion for the wrong reasons? Um, you can let them have a conversation. You know, I'm always welcome to have this conversation with people. Uh, you could direct them to me. We, they could set up a time. We could talk about it. Uh, it's definitely critical that the person converts for the right reasons. Uh, usually at the top of the list of wrong reasons to convert is wanting to get married <laughs> uh, to someone. And, of course, that's not a good reason. That's a, and, in fact, that, that wouldn't even count. You know, if it's not coming from the heart, it will not count. So I, w- I would suggest to the person... Uh, have them get in touch with myself or any other imam and have a conversation about where the, why they want to really convert and uh, make sure that they make a clear decision or um, you know, have some clarity in their decision, making an informed decision because changing deen is changing your religion and your faith is not an easy thing to do. Uh, it involves a lot uh, if it's going to be done sincerely. Allahu alam. There's a lot more to add to this guys Absolutely. I hope that you guys continue uh, Thinking in this vein on your own yeah. Let's all try to become Better in our own rights In our own personal lives May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala use us to make the Ummah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Strong again And mm-hmm. make us agents for change mm-hmm. uh, Allahumma ameen Allahumma ameen Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah